0: Hey everyone, my name is Kyla, welcome to my channel where I talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we are going to be talking about literally all the things that have happened this week. I'm going to try and do more frequent updates on YouTube to talk a little bit more about what's happening in the markets because I write these weekly newsletters. You should go to subscribe to at kyla.substack.com. And I also do daily TikToks, but you know, I'm going to try and update more. But this is a piece on everything mostly that happened this week. The main thing that I want to preface with all of this is that people are what matters. When we talk about the economy, when we talk about the markets, when we talk about crypto, we can often. Sometimes forget that the core driver of everything that's happening is people. Is everything falling apart? Absolutely, for sure. But everything is a balancing act, and we exist in sort of the tail end of the extremes right now. So one thing going wrong can end up tipping the entire scale. And there's a lot of things going on. And I think this meme of this domino guy who's like, okay, let me just tip this one domino, and like, you know, Pluto explodes. I think that's kind of really symbolic of how the markets work right now, how the economy works right now. Everything is going to tip. And so what is going on? There's a lot of frameworks that you can analyze this through i made my own framework where it's like a flowchart explaining gdp growth consumer health corporations venture capital financial conditions and the federal reserve so i want to talk about this flowchart today and i want to start off with gdp growth basically the economy isn't doing super hot there are some parts of the economy that are doing okay but on aggregate things are looking kind of tough and consumers are the primary driver of economic growth many people seem to think that a recession is looming and the most recent gdp now forecast came in at zero percent which isn't looking good that technically means that we are in a recession. If that number comes to fruition, it's just an estimate. It's just one number estimating one thing. But if that's true, if GDP growth is actually 0%, we did have negative GDP growth last quarter. So that could mean that we are in a technical recession. Of course, the actual definition of a recession is not two quarters of negative economic growth, even though a lot of people seem to think it is. That's not true. The Fed sort of hinted at a recession coming in their most recent numbers, or at least implied through their forecast that there's going to be some sort of slowdown. And that's all fine and good. Like Numbers are good, forecasts are Good estimates are good, but the most important thing is people. People are not feeling good. Consumer sentiment is low, and there's a lot of worries about what's coming next. So recession is scary, right? I, I did a whole piece on this last week or two weeks ago, but I talked about like how people were rooting for a recession. And when you root for a recession, I don't think you quite understand like what that price is and what that means for you. Like if you think that you're going to get a house on sale <laughs> during a recession, number one, look at mortgage rates right now. Consumer sentiment impacts how people spend. So consumer sentiment is the core driver of GDP growth, and sentiment is the core driver of consumer spending. And consumer spending is a function of borrowing. And indeed, consumers are borrowing a lot, as shown by credit card data, income, which has increased but not at the pace of inflation, and savings, which is a strong stockpile that was generated during COVID but has rapidly depleted. And so as the Bank of America writes in their consumer checkpoint, total credit and debit card spending remains well above 2019 levels, though has been easing lower recently. And that spending metric has shown up in retail sales, which are still above trend but are rapidly weakening. Spending is rotating more into things like food, gasoline, rent, and away from items like automobiles. And there are a lot of forces that work here. So a rotation to services, spending frustration with shortages and avoiding things that have become too expensive, but it's a flashing red belt. Semi-relatedly market sentiment is at all time lows and that drives spending. And so consumer spending is 70% of all GDP growth. So policy is largely incentivized to keep people spending. Consumer sentiment is formed from a lot of different things, but the core formation in this current market, how people are feeling seem to be food prices, gasoline prices, shelter costs, and jobs. Food costs are really high because of supply chain woes fertilizer, which is improving actually gasoline prices are really high because of the refining capacity problems, because of underinvestment, because oil prices are high and electricity and utility costs are high because of oil costs being high. So people are struggling right now. So of course, consumer sentiment is going to be low. Things seem not very good. If you're an everyday person, you spend money on food, you got to eat, you spend money on a place to live. You got to live somewhere. And you spend money on a car because sidewalks don't seem to exist in most cities in America. The only bright spot is the labor market where unemployment is low, jobs are being added, but it's beginning to look bumpy as well. There's been a series of layoffs in the tech. In crypto world, of course, monetary policy is going to influence this even more. The Fed has two main levers: they have the labor market and financial conditions. And forcing people out of work, which tightening financial conditions will do, will reduce inflation, right? If you make people not have jobs, the, the inflation is going to go down. But as the Fed tries to reduce inflation, there is going to be some imp- some pain in these employment metrics, making four out of those four things driving consumer consumer sentiment even more broadly. But people are, you know, feeling bad, and that enough could drive us into a recession. Expectations are every. Everything in the Fed knows that gas prices are really high. Which makes people feel bad because all of a sudden a lot of money goes towards keeping your car on the road. And gas prices are clearly a part of the Fed's dual mandate at this point, but they literally cannot control it. They cannot pump more oil out of the ground by raising rates. It's all about incentives. It's all about nudge nudge. If you if somebody was like, What is monetary policy? This is just nudging the economy along. It's not really like doing anything directly, it's just nudging mortgage rates. It's just nudging lending rates, right? And part of the problem with gas prices is a lack of supply. So US refineries are shutting down sometimes because. They don't have a buyer from natural disasters, from conversion to biofuel production, and not crude oil. There's also a lack of money, so investors are practicing capital discipline. And an element of this is policy uncertainty, where if you're, you know, investing in oil, what are carbon taxes going to do to your investment? What is ESG going to do? It, like all these people are driven by making money, so it, it's logical that they'd be like, oh, I don't know, I don't know if I want to do this right now. There's an incentive for shareholders to not want fossil fuel supply to grow, even though we really need it. We have an energy crisis, and energy is every it's food shelter electricity there's fiscal policy decisions that could support this because the fed can't raise rates and make oil come out of the ground they can only try to normalize supply and demand make people buy less gasoline but that breaks down the whole economy because it ruins consumer sentiment so if you're like stop buying gasoline everybody because we need to make oil prices go down that is like people are going to be like this freaking sucks all the dominoes begin to topple the biden administration needs to do more accusing the industry of price gouging isn't going to make more oil come out of the ground taxing them more is not going to expand refining capacity. You got to play the game in order to win it. ExxonMobil wrote a pretty powerful statement to President Biden asking for clear policy, infrastructure support, and waivers of things like the Joan Act provision so they can produce more oil. And this gets into corporations. So consumers influence corporations too. There are a lot of different avenues, including spending. Retail sales have contracted as people decide that new cars are not in the budget right now. And as mentioned earlier, consumer credit is surging. Corporations are hurting right now too. The US dollar has gotten stronger because it's a safe haven asset during times of uncertainty like we're in right now. But if a company has operations overseas, and a lot of them do during this time of globalization, they're going to suffer from exchange rate conversion, a stronger dollar hurts exports. And there's also price sensitivity. So consumers are becoming more sensitive. So companies aren't able to pass off costs as easily, which hurts their margins. And then there's also credit market stress. So if you're a corporation trying to get some lending right now, the bond market is like, you suck a lot and maybe you won't be able to pay that back. And then spreads widen, right? Because everyone's like, we don't know if they're going to be able to pay back this debt that they're, taking out, right? And junk bond spreads are over 500 basis points, which is not good. And basically what when you can think about spreads widening, that's not great because that means people are like, you must give me more in order to help this company finance their operations or take out this debt. As a note, corporate credit stress could deter the Fed's path forward. If the bond market is blowing out, they sort of have to step in and fix that. There's also deflation with too much stuff. So companies have excess inventory, which is largely deflationary, but it bites in the profits. And so you might be like, that's great you know, I don't want these big corporations to be making a lot of money, but the issue is incentives. So if corporations are not making a lot of money, they do things that are not good for people. They employ people, right? And so if all of a sudden, you know, they have excess inventory, they have lower margins, they're underperforming, they're going to fire people. And that circles back to the whole consumer sentiment thing with jobs, right? So everything is intertwined. One domino topples, the whole line topples down. This gets into financial conditions. So financial conditions are the main dominoes that the Fed ends up influencing, not oil production. So it's assets and markets and other things. And the focus is really the stock market. So people are feeling really bad because like their gains are gone. The housing market, mortgage rates are making it nearly impossible to buy a house. The crypto market, you know, this is like, that's a whole different video of what's happening in crypto. Bankless, of course, has like a lot of really good stuff on it, but you know, you have three hours capital, you have Celsius blowing up. There's a lot of pain as those dominoes topple. And with the housing market, as I read about in my recession piece, and as I mentioned earlier, a lot of younger people are like, I think the world should implode so I can get a house. And Jerome Powell even said this during his speech. He was like, there needs do we reset in the housing market with the housing market it's supply and demand so you got investors private equity firms coming in buying up a significant amount of real estate you got different zoning policies or obstructions or to construction making it more difficult to build homes or homes are sitting idly by waiting to be finished and then you have demand where everyone's like actually i would love to have a house that would be really cool and rates are pricing new home buyers out of the market and millennials are like what if i had a house that would be crazy and they want a house but th- there's a mismatch between supply and demand louis barnes he writes a really good mortgage newsletter he said now it's Time for Wiley E Coyote in his Acme sneakers running off into thin air and all okay until he looks down. Basically, like the mortgage market is going off a cliff. We've been running so long in so many different directions to the market—the housing market, the stock market, the crypto market—and the ground has essentially disappeared from beneath us. And like headlines have completely shifted over the past few months. Like you've just seen a complete shift in sentiment. Borrowing costs have increased a lot. The main lever that has changed is mortgage rates, so it's become way more expensive to own a home. As Redfin writes, a thirty-year fixed mortgage is looking at a monthly payment of twenty-five hundred up from $1,600 a year ago. That's a huge difference. That's over almost $1,000 difference per month, which is, you know, that's a huge part of people's budget. And so we're starting to see the supply and demand mechanics normalize with rates north of 6%, that prices over 18 million people out of the housing market, demand destruction. And this was before the 75 basis point hike. The force of the move in mortgage rates is enough to knock anybody out of the market. If you spend time thinking about buying, you might not be able to afford to buy by the time you get a choice. And there's pressure on the rental market, right? So like that's 18 million people that are re- entering into the rental market and they're buying apartments or they're renting apartments. And so that's not good either. And then it's the fast and furious Fed. So things are getting worse because the Fed is not planning on pulling back on raising rates anytime soon, which nudges mortgage rates up even more. And this is that tightening of financial conditions. There's no bid on mortgage-backed securities. The market does not want to touch mortgage-backed securities. It's not attractive to the market because they're like, this is kind of crazy. Like, are these people going to be able to pay it back? And so that's going to push mortgage rates up even more to get buyers in there. There was no bid on mortgage-backed securities like yikes man that means like liquidity is literally so low if you had a glass of water that thing would be empty that's what the liquidity on the mortgage-backed securities market is looking like but the supply and demand issues that i outlined earlier as connor wrote while higher mortgage rates and less panic buying might help relieve imbalances in the short term it's doing nothing to address the longer term need for more homes ryan in buffalo who's like a really fun twitter account wrote a really good thread on his apartment stating that it'd be illegal to build his apartment building in 99 of urbanized land in the u.s today including his own neighborhood there's setbacks there's parking minimums oh (laughs) floor area ratios height limits single family zoning and incompatible use restrictions have made buildings like this a 19th century relic i have so many thoughts on car culture in the united states and how much space we use for parking and mm, one day one day i'll do a piece on that but one thing that we continuously seem to do is tunnel hole ourselves into a policy mess you see with energy you see with housing by trying to fix things we make it worse and policy never covers what it should like should blackstone be buying up homes and turning them into rental properties not like but that's what they're doing and it's their special way to hedge against inflation so good for them we should definitely provide more private equity firms ways to hedge against inflation that involve uh, pricing people out of houses i think that's awesome and energy and housing are the same we need more of it sustainably stemming demand in the short term is not a solution to the systemic long-term issue of not enough available housing and not enough energy production the federal reserve can't do anything about this they exist to influence expectations and this is most this this is the most important thing to know about them because they came out swinging with that 75 basis point because they were losing control of the narrative. They have their toolkit that helps them do this, but the goal is really to scare the shit out of the markets. They do this in a few key ways. They have the fed funds rate, and that's what people are talking about when they say that the fed raises rates, the fed nudges around the fed funds, which influences all the other rates in the economy, mortgages, auto loans, etc. When rates go up, that means everyone is like, it's going to be so expensive for you to loan. And that means the economy slows down. And then you have the balance sheet. So the fed is now engaging in quantitative tightening. They provide less support to the market because they're engaging in the fed vacuum, shout out Joey versus the fed money printer. And there's also the reserve requirement and the discount rate. So they have other things that basically basically encourage banks to not lend out. And that causes the economy to slow down because less money is sloshing around. The most important thing to know is they have a balance between credibility and action. And the market usually believes them, right? They've been managing expectations really well, and they actually really haven't done a whole lot of contractionary monetary policy. They've just kind of been saying stuff, but now their credibility is at risk because everyone is like Fed, you're kind of behind here, which explains the 75 basis point move, which ironically might hurt their credibility down the line because the Fed has a hard job. And like, I've been called a Fed sympathizer before, but like they have a hard job, right? And th- who the heck could have gotten any of what happened over the last few years, right? How the heck would you have predicted a pandemic, oil prices going negative, a war? Like it's it's really difficult. And so I, I empathize with them. They have enabled elements of excess, including, you know, the malinvestment that we see from VC firms. And I also made a tic- I made so many TikToks, but I made a TikTok about this. And I was like, we should hold venture capital firms and PE firms responsible for what they invest in, right? Like them investing and 15 minute grocery delivery versus investing in things like sustainable energy, which Lux Capital does a great job investing in sort of like the future of science, but other VC firms that have like very, very large allocation uh, money to allocate don't necessarily do it as good. And I do think there's a level of responsibility here. And so people will argue and be like, well, the Fed enabled them to do this. And it's like, geez, man, like everybody's an individual actor that can make their own decisions. There's lines of responsibility. I'm not saying that the Fed is not responsible for what has happened because obviously, Obviously, yes, but there are other people who you know who could have made this world better anyway. Uh, but that's not how the market seems to operate. Everything is bifurcated. Everything is one tail end or the other. And the knowledge that there's polarization is the only common ground that seems to exist. And this is the vibes that shift. The Fed manages expectations, but I do think that expectations are going to have to shift. The OECD came out with their economic outlook paper for 2022, and they were banging a trash can lid. And they were like, hey, everybody, the world economy is probably going to collapse. And their three main points were the war, <laughs> a slowing recovery, inflationary pressures have intensified. And the cost of living crisis will cause hardship and risk famine. And it, it's just not looking good. So like, yeah, all of that's true. Energy markets are a mess from Russia. There's a lack of refining capacity from the desire of Europe to transition to green before they're ready. And there's a lot of factors that are putting pressure on what the Fed does. In terms of the soft landing, the Fed has some pretty wild expectations for what they can achieve in this tightening cycle. Their forecasts for unemployment and GDP are like, maybe we expect a slowdown, but we don't expect a recession. But in order for them to really combat the inflation that we're seeing there's going to be this element of economic hardship. And the Fed can only nudge nudge things. Like they have to politicize an element of what they do because inflation is really, really painful. And that isn't the best thing for them to do because the market might stop believing the Fed has any power at all, which ruins their credibility and expectations tool. Jerome Powell even said in the the meeting, right? Like the Fed meeting that they don't want people to lose jobs, but it's like kind of par for the course. The New York Fed is predicting a 10% chance of a soft landing, an 80% chance of a hard landing and an element of pain that means that an element of pain is going to have to happen. And other central banks are sort of joining the party too, not the Bank of Japan, uh, but like the ECB. they were like, we're going to tighten monetary policy for the first time in forever. And then Italy bonds were like, actually, we're going to totally give you the middle finger. And Europe has had a significant amount of inflation, but the market is demanding more easing, which is a big challenge. Like how do you m- maintain market stability while combating inflation? It's very difficult. And everyone is just kind of guessing. Uh, that's what monetary policy is. It's vibes. As the president of the Minneapolis Fed wrote, I know of no theory theoretical framework that can tell us how much we will need to tighten long, real rates to get inflation back to target in the reasonable timeframe. A lot of people mistake bull runs for brilliance, which is really uh, just the credit cycle at their back. As Jim Chino said on odd lots, we've gotten really used to good things. Our expectations are pretty high, which is good, but you know, even the mere concept of 15 minute grocery delivery is kind of crazy. Like that's a luxury. As Sarah O'Connor wrote unprofitable on-demand services, like someone bringing a Coke to your door, gave people a sense of affluence in a decade of Stagnant wage growth, but they were subsidized by investors, and now money is drying up. We have expectations, and those might need to shift, but we can't align our expectations to reality. But we aren't doing the things that would support that right now, Uh, like the high speed Roomba train. That doesn't need to exist. What even is that? But so many of our solutions are simple, right? But we don't want these simple frameworks, as Alan Cole wrote in his good paper talking about this, because our infrastructure building process is bloated with regulation and action is often lost in the bureaucratic sinkhole that is our government. We need broader policy action and blaming the fed is not going to fix it either employ America are car- carrying policy on their back and have a lot of really practical solutions that the administration can implement and good legislation has been passed this year. So it is possible. And I know this was like a lot of, a lot of things. And I think that we often forget that the economy is really just a bunch of people peopling around and being stupid. Like people are stupid and dumb and silly. And that means the economy is going to be stupid, dumb, and silly because people are the economy. And I know it's frustrating. And I think it's okay to be frustrated because that means you care, right? And just like the Fed, we have to take action to maintain our credibility, which is something I need to work on more. The bifurcation of society shows that we are passionate about this, <laughs> but how do we harness these emotions into something productive for a collective future? We're we're all in this together, which I know is like controversial, but that's this is the eternal question: is like how, how do we people together better? Thanks everybody for hanging out. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, uh, YouTube, <laughs> my Substack, kyla.substack.com. Thanks much for spending time with me. I hope that you are doing so good and I'll talk to y'all soon.